You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit VOTR.church. Next week. Well, today we're just going to continue to move along in the book of Philippians. We are continuing our series called Citizens of Heaven. We've been studying the book of Philippians all month long, and today's passage is truly one of my favorites. Not just in the book of Philippians, but in the entire New Testament. It's all about what happens when we place our entire lives in the person of Jesus Christ. What happens and, and where we place our trust, where we place our faith, and ultimately what happens in our relationship with God when we place everything that we have on the person of Jesus. As I was praying and preparing for this scripture, though, it really kind of transported me back to college. It transported me back to college because there was a speech that I heard in college the day before graduation that I will always remember. It was made by the university president, uh, and we all kind of gathered together for a special dinner, and his speech, I'll never forget, but actually my dad gave me a speech four years prior to that, a speech that I'll repeat to my children because it impacted me so greatly, and he told me when I was going to college, he said, Jeff, just do yourself a favor and get a B right away. Just get a B right away. That way you'll have no pressure to like live in the perfection of the 4.0 and whether or not you can continue, whether you can keep it, just get a B right away and it will take all the pressure off for your grades. And it was a breath of fresh air. I, I'm kind of a type A driven kind of guy and so I could have gotten wrapped up in that and it didn't take me very long. Dad, I'm sorry to tell you, I got a B right away, first semester, but it just took the pressure of perfection off of me. But as I went through college, I realized that I started stringing a couple good semesters together, and I started uh, raising my GPA, and, and things were starting to happen. My senior year, my last semester, I kind of looked at the landscape of everything, and I realized if I really applied myself this last semester that I could graduate with honors. And I thought that would be really neat because they give you these little gold cords and they drape them around your shoulders and you get a little special uh, mark next to your name on the commencement program. And so I thought, yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll do that. So I, I kind of pressed into that last semester and I was able to graduate with honors. Little did I know that it meant I also got invited to the president's place for a special dinner the night before commencement. And it was a good dinner, but I'm telling you, it was a horrible speech. It was horrible. And like everybody knew that it was horrible by the end of the, he stood up in front of us all after we had this amazing dinner and he gave us this lame speech about how hard life was going to get, that there's going to be ups and downs, there's going to be challenges and obstacles that we were going to have to face. But he said, class of 2007, when you reach these obstacles and when you get beat down, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab that diploma and I want you to put it in your lap and I want you to look at it. And I want you to see your name, and it says graduated with honors. And I want you to pull out those cords, and I want you to put them in your lap, and I want you to think, I can do it. I've done it before, and I can do it again. And I remember thinking to myself, this is the worst. Like, I, when life gets hard, and inevitably it will get hard, there will be challenges, we'll face obstacles. The last thing I want to do is pull out my college diploma and think, you know what, gosh darn it, I sure did it back then, and I can do it again. I really know I can. Like, it was just a garbage class. And he said, he wrapped it all up when he said, you are the honorable class of 2007. I don't want you to ever forget it. I remember thinking, now some of you are like doing the math right now. Like, I graduated this time. He graduated. What? No, it's not the point of when I graduated. It's not. The point is, 
it was a trash speech. It really was. It was garbage. The whole thing was that you have a diploma that can be some kind of intrinsic value. And when life is hard, when life gets tough, look at that sheet of paper and all will be well. And I remember thinking, I have so much more than a diploma. You don't know what is deep within my heart and deep within my bones. And I'm thankful for the diploma. I just don't place my trust in it. I just don't put the weight of my life on a sheet of paper that has a cheap frame that's stuck in a box somewhere in my basement. That's not where I place my trust. I am thankful for it, but as a citizen of heaven, I have traded the external accomplishments, whatever they may be in my life, and I've traded for them for an eternal value. Eternal and internal. I've traded how the world defines success for the infinite value of knowing Christ. Our scripture today is from Philippians 3, and I'm going to read a lot of scripture on the front end, so hang with me because it's going to be about 10 or 11 verses. And as you read this scripture, it gives you a warning, a testimony, a goal, and a promise. That's kind of the way that Paul writes it out, a warning, a testimony, a goal, and a promise. I'm going to read all the way through it, and then we're going to work our way through it together. Philippians 3, verses one through 11. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Now, just a quick pause there. If you didn't notice, because many of us don't realize that actually what we're doing right here, right now, we're rejoicing in the Lord. When we lift our voice, we're rejoicing in the Lord. When you have the joy of of the Lord in your heart, you're rejoicing in the Lord. And Paul says that safeguards your faith. We don't always put those two things together. Sometimes we think this is like a necessity or an obligation, but Paul says rejoicing in the Lord actually protects your heart and it protects your faith. That's an important thing to remember. But then he continues in verse two, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. More on that later. For we... For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reasons for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. This is one of my all-time favorite passages. 
And like I pointed out at the beginning, it starts with a warning, it's followed by a testimony, then he shares a goal and a promise. And so let's start with the beginning, let's start with the warning. He says, watch out for the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Now, I want you to know that I practiced in my office with no hand gestures when I read that because it could get really dicey really fast. But here's what happened in the the New Testament era, in Paul's era. This is what happened. Paul, almost everywhere he went, he planted a church. And then back in the day, people would follow Paul and they would try to dismantle his persuasion and his arguments for the gospel of the king. And see, back then, Gentiles, they were not circumcised and Jews were. And and circumcision, it started as part of the Old Testament, an external display of this covenant relationship that God had with his people. It was an external or cosmetic display that internally he had chosen them and they were to be set apart. But over time, and as you hear in this text, the Jews began to eventually replace a personal faith with the external symbol. They started to believe that in order to be saved, you needed faith in Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus some kind of external reality. Jesus plus your efforts that get you saved. And they married these things to, the, these things to each other. And they started to trust in their external symbol as much as their personal faith. In Jesus. And Paul is warning us, and he's been warning us for 2,000 years, that for centuries, people have tried to add to the gospel. People have tried to add to the gospel. It's not just faith in Christ alone. It's faith in Christ plus something else. And whatever it is for you, whatever you like to fill in that blank with, Paul is warning us, and he's saying it's Jesus alone. It's Jesus plus nothing. You need faith in Christ alone. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's the gospel of the king. It's that he came from heaven and lived a perfect life among us. God in the flesh, a perfect representation for us. That he died on the cross for your sins and for mine. That he was buried in the tomb, but three days later he was resurrected back to new life. And if we place our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, we will be saved today and will be saved forevermore. And if you're with us this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, then we're going to give you a chance to make that decision later in our surface. But this is what you need to know, that salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. It's not faith plus your behavior. You can't stack the odds in your favor. It's not faith plus perfection. You don't have to get straight A's in life to be a follower of Christ. It's not faith plus anything. It's faith plus Christ, and that is it. It's all about a heart issue. It's never been about a cosmetic change. When you think about this text, again, back to college, if you just transport back with me to college, I had a really good college friend named Aaron, and he was a kind of a singer-songwriter, like one of those college guys that knows how to play guitar and sing songs. Like, they were everywhere on my campus, I swear. Aaron was a good friend of mine, though, and he took this passage and he wrote a song. And it was a beautiful song. It was titled, Circumcise Our Hearts. And um, parody aside, it was a beautiful song. I mean, trust me, it really was. It it never made it really beyond the college campus, I'll tell you that. It kind of stayed in our little isolated community. But it was a beautiful passage, a song, because he took it right from this passage. 
And, and he wrote a sequel, which is not worthy for a microphone. You can ask me about that another day. But it was all about what happens when we present our entire life and our entire heart to Jesus. And we're not trusting in anything else other than faith to be made right in God's sight through Jesus. It's about having a personal relationship, not some kind of religious aptitude. It's about loving Jesus personally and deeply, not just trusting in the right things or, or uh, having enough good things in your life that outweigh the bad things in your life. The gospel is Christ alone. Listen, we have to, we have to like wade into these waters and get a little personal. We, we, have, to, we have to really unpack because this is really important for some of us to hear today. Your accolades... Whatever they may be, your accolades will never be enough for you to go to heaven. Your faith from when you were a child, that, that, that's not what gives you salvation. If you went through confirmation when you were younger, if you went through catechism when you were younger, if you were baptized when you were a baby, if you've gone on mission trips or you've given most of your money to the poor, if you've, if you've showed up for church consistently for years, those aren't the things that give you salvation. It's faith in Christ alone. It's faith in Christ alone alone. All of those other things, they're good things. They're things we encourage at the vineyard. They're things that just happen after salvation to demonstrate your love and honor and thankfulness for everything that God has done in your life. They're not things to get him to love you or things that you do to get him to save you. We've got to keep the equation in the right order because when you try to earn salvation, you'll never measure up. Enough will never be enough. And if you wanted to play the posturing game about what you've done or what you're currently doing or what you intend to do someday, that is a failing game. In the kingdom of God, that is a failing game. Paul knew it. Paul knew it, and it was everywhere in the church in his era. It's still in the church today. And so we read Paul's words and we apply them to our own lives this morning, knowing that he is giving us a warning. And of course, he follows up that warning with the testimony. And that's exactly what happens next. In verses 5 through 9, Paul wrote about all of his accomplishments. He wrote about them all, and they were many. It almost sounds a little braggy when you read it for the first time, but he's being audacious on purpose. He's being provocative on purpose because he's trying to show you his assets and liability sheet, and he's, he's trying to say if anybody had anything stacked in their favor, it was Paul, and even that is not enough. He said, if you want to look at externals, look at mine, Paul said. Look at accolades or heritage or zeal or righteousness. I have you all beat. He says, I was a Hebrew among the Hebrews, part of the Pharisees, which many believed was like the strictest sect of followers of God. And they were the closest people to God in that time. At least that's what everybody thought. Viewed by many to be the closest. He was trained by the best rabbis. He had the best religious upbringing and education. His confirmation meant that he memorized most of the Old Testament. Think about that. Most of the Old Testament memorized, understood the Jewish culture to perfection. And he lists all these qualifications in verses 5 through 9. And like my old college professor or president, excuse me, he pulls out his diploma. And Paul says, look, if you want to compare notes, look at mine. Look at my resume. It's immaculate, Paul said. Without fault. And then he said, but I'm trading it all for knowing Christ. I'm trading it all 
for knowing Christ. Look at verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. For his sake, for his sake, Paul says, I've left it all behind. I count it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and be one with him. Now that verse, verse eight, you're going to want to underline that word garbage. You're going to want to underline that word garbage because honestly, in the original language, garbage, that's like the PG version of what the word actually means. Paul was, again, being provocative on purpose. He chose a very offensive word when he wrote this. And the best way that we can translate it for you in a modern 21st century idea is horse manure. For real, horse manure. Cow pie. Doggy doo-doo. Whatever it is that helps you capture the idea, let me just take you uh, for a walk in my backyard because it's my dog's toilet. And we're not great at cleaning up. You know what? Actually, we don't need to clean up after them because it can remind us of Philippians 3. Okay? That's right. It's all coming full circle. I get a chart. No, Philippians 3. I count it all as garbage compared to knowing Christ. That's what Paul is saying. That's what he's saying here. That everything you can think of, everything, everything to stack up the resume, it's worthless compared to knowing Jesus. It's like horse manure. It's like garbage. It's, it'd be better to be flushed down the toilet in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. I originally had a, a, a working title. You know how you're like creating documents and you have working titles and then you think better and you change it? My working title was Pooper Jesus. Which one do you want to choose? I'm really surprised. Now, I'm really surprised I said that out loud. But I'm kind of on a roll. Listen, between, between that and the circumcision and faith in Christ, we could have had a lot of fun titling this message. I went with knowing Jesus, just for the record. Knowing Jesus, safe, but now it's recorded and online. So, listen, I... I love education. I am so grateful for my education. I am so grateful for the ministry school that I went to. I spend hours reading every week. As a citizen of heaven, I pursue excellence. It is a good thing to pursue excellence. I did all of those things and I continue to do all of those things, but I cannot find salvation in a degree. I cannot find salvation in a childhood baptism. I cannot find salvation in confirmation or, comf or catechism or any programs that I've graduated from. It's salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone. Listen, in my position, I've realized I get... Uh, I get a lot of questions, but there are two questions that I get over and over and over again. Two questions I hear over and over and over again. Where'd you go to seminary? How'd you meet the Lord? Where'd you go to seminary? How'd you meet the Lord? And I can tell you right now, there's only one of those questions that brings me to my knees. There's only one of those questions that, that makes me cry. Every time I share my salvation story, I'm brought to tears. Because I was dead and lost. I was addicted and broken and depressed and living in darkness. And he rescued me. 
And he saved me. And he transformed my life. March 20th, 2004. I'll never forget that night. When I got adopted into the family of God. I'll tell you about that all of the time. I'll tell you about how he transformed me then and how he's transforming me now. I want to tell you about how the Prince of Peace still calms my anxiety and stress. I want to tell you about how the Comforter still heals my pain. I want to tell you about how the eternal King Jesus still has a life for me that he's inviting me to live. Everything in comparison to that is worthless. There's something of infinitely greater value than my degree, than my accolades, anything that I may have, any kind of external achievements that I might complete. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's Christ in me. Verse 8 teaches us that the citizens of this world will hold to external things as valuable. They'll define their life with how much they've accomplished. But that as a citizen of heaven, you let go of everything to lay hold of the most important thing. You let go of the bad things to lay hold of Christ. You even let go of some of the really good things so that you can lay hold of the best thing. Salvation in Jesus Christ. And I wonder as I read this text and I look at this room and I think about everyone online, I wonder for all of us, what do you need to let go of so that you can lay hold of Christ this morning? What do you need to let go of so you can lay hold of Christ more completely? For followers of Christ and citizens of heaven, I, I pretty much guarantee if you ask that prayer with a humble heart, God will answer it. And he's kind and he's gentle and he's patient with us. So he's not going to give you 20 things this morning to work on or 25 things to let go of so you can lay hold of him. My guess is he'll give you one, maybe two. And my guess is that as we linger in his presence, that he'll just drop them kindly on our minds and kindly on our hearts. What is one thing that you need to let go of so you can cling to Christ more closely? If you're not yet a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you to trade your life for his today. To no longer trust in your own ways, to no longer trust in your own life and your own plans. Instead, to say to Jesus, I'll lay it all down because I want what you have for me. It is a leap of faith. It's a leap of faith, but it's one that is priceless in comparison to anything else. That is the ultimate goal, by the way. Paul starts with a warning, he shares his testimony, and then ultimately he, he leads us to this goal, and, and we'll close up with the promise in a minute. But here's the goal. The goal, it's simple. It's the priceless value of knowing Christ. The infinite value of knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Look at verse 10 one last time. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. I mean, you think about it, that, that's so much more than just an intellectual agreement, right? That's so much more than just understanding the words in this Bible or, or listening to enough sermons that you can kind of retell the story. It's so much more than just knowing the answers, to know Christ, as Paul is using the word, is to have him deep within your heart. To have a personal and intimate and shared experience of life with Jesus. 
It doesn't come from right answers, and it doesn't come from perfect persuasions. It comes from knowing the person of Jesus. This is why I always encourage people to read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The teachings and life of Jesus Christ. It's why I always encourage people to read the Gospels every single year, to see Christ in action, the way he interacted with people. It's why we encourage small groups in such a powerful way because we know that when you get together in community and you share what God is doing in your life that you get to know each other but you also get to know him better. It's why we we put such a big importance on gathering together because we want to know him with each other. His power, his presence, even his suffering. But guard your heart. But guard your heart. Now this is my warning to you now. Because as a pastor, I've, I've just seen this happen enough. That This is just my warning to you. I, I've seen enough people start with incredible zeal and passion and then just walk away. And they just walk away. They begin to replace that true relationship with Jesus with the right programs. They begin to, what, what started as Jesus plus nothing, they begin to fill in the blanks with all kinds of different things. Jesus plus church attendance. Jesus plus the men's event. Jesus plus the women's event. Jesus plus giving more. Because now I'm not trusting in Jesus alone for salvation. I've got to buy my salvation. I've got to earn my salvation. And listen, you know that I love all of those things. You know that I think all of those things are part of our faith. They're just not what get you started. What gets you started is the love of Jesus Christ rescuing you. And placing you on a path of eternity with him. Everything else is done in response to what he's done first. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I even want to suffer with him. Paul was so intent on knowing the depths of who Jesus was that he was even willing to be uncomfortable and get to know Jesus in his worst hours of pain and suffering so that he might know him more completely. This is my prayer. It's my personal prayer, and it's my prayer for every single one of us in this room and everyone tuning on online, that you might know him deeply, truly, intimately, passionately, as a way of life, that you might know him, even in his power, even in his suffering. Religion Religion is not a relationship, and it won't save you. Only Jesus can do that. The goal is simple, the priceless value, the infinite value of knowing Christ. As I close, let's just look at the last verse together, verse 11. This is a powerful way that Paul finishes this, and and so we'll finish our message this morning in the same way. Verse 11 so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. This is the promise. The warning, the testimony, the goal of infinitely value of knowing him, and now the promise. And his promise is for anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. His promise is that through all of life, even when you experience setback and suffering and death and pain, because you know him and experience him today, you can know him and experience him forevermore. As a citizen of heaven. We have to read this passage and we have to ask ourselves, where am I placing my trust? Do I place my trust in a diploma? 
Do I place my trust in my parents' faith? Do I place my trust in a childhood experience? Do I place my faith in whatever that blank would be? Or do I place my faith in Christ alone and Christ for today? Am I willing to throw everything else out the window for the priceless value of knowing Christ? That question one last time. What do you need to let go of so you can hold to Christ more closely? Let's pray.